Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Sheikh Hamza Karamali. You are most welcome, sir. Thank you so much for having me again, Paul. You're most welcome. Now, for those who don't know, Hamza is the founder of Basira Education, where he trains parents, teachers, scholars in high schools, weekend religious schools, and a variety of other educational institutions, how to show their students why Islam is true. He's developed a textbook, an online teacher's portal, and is on a mission to train 10,000 teachers. You can follow him on his social media platforms to learn about the details of this project, which will be, will be released very soon in the month of Ramadan. Today, Hamza will be speaking about miracles in Christianity and Islam, which lies at the core of his work on religion and science from an Islamic perspective. And I think maybe a good starting point for our discussion today would be Jesus, because he's really the common figure in Christianity, Islam, and in religions, science debates in the Western tradition, which go all the way back, which go back to the history of the Christian church. So perhaps, Hamza, you can just introduce us to this subject. Thank you for your introduction, Paul. Um, so, yeah, so I did some, before I came, I reviewed uh, the Gospel of John, um, which I thought would be appropriate starting point. It's the most, uh, I guess, allegedly Trinitarian of all, all the Gospels. And so I went through the signs that are mentioned there. And the word signs is important because miracles in both Christianity and Islam are described as being signs. There's a difference on, on what exactly they're signs of, but they're both signs in the Quran too. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them as signs, particularly in reference to Jesus. So in uh, so we'll take just I went through the, the signs in the Gospel of John. So he starts off the first sign in, in the in the gospel is that he turned wine into water, jars of wine into water. That's one of the miracles that he did. That was a sign of something. Well, it, it was water into wine, I think. It was the other way around, wasn't it? He oh, took yeah. Water into water wine. Into thanks. Into thanks. Into thanks. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My Islamic bias. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, um, so he um, healed the son of a royal official. He healed a paralytic who'd been um, um, paralyzed for 38 years. Mm. He multiplied food, miraculously fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. Um, he healed somebody who was blind from birth. Um, and uh, there's the resurrection um, of, of Lazarus. And there's his own resurrection from the dead as well, which he hinted at earlier. So these are some of the miraculous signs in the Gospel of John. Um, in the Quran, there's two ver two verses um, that where he talks about his signs, and it's interesting. The word is also sign. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in in the Surah Al Imran, chapter three, verse forty nine, he says that Jesus, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, he sent Jesus as a Rasul, as a messenger 
to the Israelites. And that um and uh, and he said to them that I've come to you with the ayatim mirabbikum with a sign from your Lord, and then he mentions a number of signs. The first sign he talks about the famous sign of the clay bird that he fashioned and he breathed life into. It's not found in the canonical gospels, but there's other infancy gospels which which mention that. Um, he talked about it mentioned that I. Um, I um, so there's one thing that's relevant here, which he says the Quran. So the Quran it is conscious of the way that these um, signs and other uh, events from the life of Jesus are described in the Judeo-Christian milieu that was um, that was there in 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 which the the Prophet Muhammad spoke. And so there's there's a there's a reference repeatedly to the fact that these signs, they all happen with the permission of Allah, with the permission of God. He says that I cure the akma. Akma is somebody who's blind, born blind, just like in, in the gospel. Like I cure those who are born blind and uh, the lepers, which is not in the gospel of John, but in other, other, some of the other gospels, I cure the lepers and I bring the dead back to life with the permission of God. And then there's this other miracle which he talks about. He says that I tell you what you eat and what you store up in your houses. I don't think this is in the canonical gospels. I haven't really seen um, where, uh, where that would be. Um, but it was recognized by the Jews and the Christians to whom um, the Quran was speaking. Um, so it was there. And, uh, and so these are two uh, you know, similar miracles, both described as signs. And they are, um, so that's, that's how, that's how um, the signs of Jesus are described. Now, with, the, with science, with the rise of modern science, um, the uh, miracles came to be seen as um, unacceptable violations of the laws of nature and um, based on a worldview where people would explain things in the universe, the events in the universe as acts of God um, with uh, through supernatural explanations rather than through natural explanations. So I guess both of these um, narratives would be, uh, they came to be problematized. So that's the, I think that's a good starting point. For our discussion, yeah. and 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 of course, um, after the Enlightenment in in Europe, uh, which affected Christians as much as anyone else, uh, many became much more liberal. Uh, liberal Christians, liberal Christianity, and theologians started to see these uh, miraculous uh, stories in the Gospels as uh, more metaphorical, perhaps, or more symbolic, yeah. or, or or just simply unhistorical and just dismissed as mere superstition, but the more sophisticated ones saw them as metaphors for, for God's generosity or inclusivity and, and so on. So there's been right. a, um, a, a complicated reaction from Christians. Some have maintained that these stories are literally historical, happened a, as is in the Gospels. Others um, ha, have seen them uh, as not historical, as more symbolic or metaphorical, as I say. So it's been a complex reaction to... The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The rise of rationalism and secularism from the Enlightenment. Um, right. And that's still the case today in, in the churches, uh, that there's yes. differences of opinion amongst Christians um, at the highest levels, even. And so the resurrection of Jesus, some will see that as a, as a, as a figure of speech, a metaphor rather than a bodily resurrection, for example. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's a digression. But so Christianity and Islam agree that Jesus uh, did miracles, those that agree that he did, he did actually do them. And this seems to place both of them at odds with modern science. How would you characterize the differences between the two religions? So, um, yeah, so the, I, I, I think that, um, so in, in many ways, the effect of the, there were similar effects, um, mm. not completely like the Christians, not to the same degree, but there were some effects, similar effects amongst the Muslims too. There was a, a movement during the period of colonialism about the reinterpretation of miracles, um, you know, because they were seen as unscientific and the Prophet was presented as somebody of, uh, as a genius moral character, and his uh, miracles were de-emphasized. Um, but I think I don't think it went to the same degree that that you that you describe. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that Christians they started off they started off they didn't start off where the Muslims started off. So in Christianity, uh, the it, there's a common in, historically in the Western tradition miracles have been seen as proof of divinity. So the resurrection is proof that Jesus is God. The other miracles that he did were proof that Jesus is God because he was. Now there's there's some uh, you know inconsistency in this account within the within the Gospels. It might not fit with this, but that's. Um, I think generally characteristic of Christianity that the positions that they hold doctrinally don't always accord with what's found in um, in, in in scripture. Mm. Um, and I want to I want to I'll come back to that in a second. But but it's it's commonly held that the fact that Jesus did miracles is evidence that he has God that he's God because only God has the power to overcome the laws of nature. Right. So. So that's that's uh, that's how um, miracles. Um, one way in which miracles have been viewed, for in for Muslims, miracles are all acts of God. They're signs that give that are given to human beings um, as evidence that they are really speaking on behalf of God. That God, so God is verifying that they are uh, receiving inspiration from Him. That they're not imposters. It's found in the Old Testament as well. I think it's found in the Gospels too. Um, many of the Gospels, this uh, this sentiment is found. I was just going through the Gospel of John, and it said that after one of the signs uh, that Jesus performed, they uh, the Israelites they said that this is indeed the prophet of God um, who has come into the world. Right. Um, so uh, uh, so I think that the the starting point for Christianity is not the pure. Tawheed of Islam. So, in, so for the Muslims, 
everything in the universe is an act of God. Mm. Um, but, uh, but I think that the Trinity, it kind of, um, it mars the ability of us to view the world as, a, as being completely an act of God because it raises something that is created to the level of the divine. And in doing that, it brings, brings the divine down. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, even in the New Testament, uh, as we have it now, there are passages which uh, jar, which don't agree perhaps with the, uh, the traditional Christian view of Jesus being divine because he does miracles. And uh, uh, a very striking passage in that regard is found in the Acts of the Apostles, where Peter, and this is the uh, Luke's uh, history of the early church, and there's a, a very interesting statement attributed to the Apostle Peter, the Prince of the Apostles. Now, this is after he says this after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, after the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. So he now knows who Jesus is. No, no more doubting. No more. Who are you? You know, who do you say I am? He now knows. And he's sent out to preach to the Israelites who Jesus is. And there's a statement attributed to him in Acts chapter two, which speaks directly to the issues you raise. And I, I don't know if Peter said this or not, but this is what the, the Bible says. According to the passage, Peter says, you that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man. And he goes on to talk about events. So yeah. here, Jesus is not God. He is not the second person of the Trinity. He is not uh, a divine being because he does miracles. It's the other way around. Actually, God works through him. And this is actually almost Islamic, as an Islamic paradigm of the relationship between Jesus as miracle worker and God. Jesus didn't do them. God worked through Jesus. And this yeah. is a pathetic paradigm we see all across the Old Testament with the Old Testament prophets, Elisha and Elijah, uh, who also rose the dead and did miraculous nature miracles and, and other miracles. Uh, um, so that's fascinating. In the beginning of the, the church Jesus was proclaimed as a miracle worker by the power and the permission of God, which coincidentally is exactly, I think, what the Quran says. Isn't that exactly. ironic? Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a, so just a further down in the same chapter in Ali Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a, there's a description, there's a description of a dialogue that took place between the Prophet and the Christians in the Arabian Peninsula. And they argued that Jesus is God uh, Jesus is the son of God because he had a mother and he didn't have a father. Hmm. And um, a you know, famous verse, um, and uh, the Prophet was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say that Jesus is the example, the description of Jesus is like the description of Adam. You know, he created, so Adam was didn't have a father or a mother, hmm. yet um, you don't say that he is divine. So, and he's even more miraculous than Jesus. Mm. Um, so the, I think that there's a, one of the things that I like to take from here is that when, when, when I, as a Muslim, when I come to the Bible, um, I don't come to it in the same way that a secular historian would come to it. So a secular historian, um, I would agree with the secular historian that the Bible has been, tampered with and it's been altered but i would disagree with him because the secular historian would deny the fact 
that it had any kind of a divine origin. He would deny the divine altogether and dismiss miracles as as uh, as historically um, untrue. Um, but that's not what I would do, right? So I would I would I would say that that there is a divine origin, but there's been a tampering, and so I would I we fit in somewhere in the middle between um, between uh, between between the between the Chris, between Christianity and between the modern. Yeah. So you touched briefly on the, the differences between um, Islam and Christianity when it comes to the role of miracles and their evidential role and value for belief. But uh, what leads to this difference? Is it just scriptural or is it philosophical as well? I think it's both. And I think the Trinity lies at the center of it. Hmm. So there's a um, so there's a philosophical difference. So the philosophical difference is that for in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself as the one who is acting in the world. He's the one who is doing everything. He's the one who sends down the rain. He's the one who makes the clouds move. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who gives death. He's the one who cures somebody when they when they become ill. He's the one who gives, to f- gives food. He's the one who gives drink. And so everything in the world is happening through the direct action of God. And it's based on the argument from contingency, which we talked about in the last episode. And the, the way philosophically, the way that this goes is that everything in the universe needs something to make it the way that it is. So when I look at the, when I look at the shining of the sun, I say, what made it shine? When, I, when the wind blows, I say, what made the wind blow? And what made it blow in this way? And then I search for explanations because I see that the things in the universe, they need something outside of them to make them the way that they are. Mm. Um, what a, uh, what uh, the, the fallacy of materialism is that we ascribe actual independent causation to other things in the universe. So we'd say that the shining of the sun is because of nuclear fusion. We'd say the blowing of the wind is because of differences in air pressures. But then that explanation itself is also in need of another explanation. It's contingent. And so we, so what science will do, it's a never ending quest for the, uh, you know, for uh, explaining contingent things, dependent things with other contingent things, dependent things. And what the Quran would argue is that, um, is that there is that no contingent thing can really explain anything else. And it's like a line of people who are leaning on each other and a long line of people, if they're not on the ground, it means that right at the end, there's something, someone who's holding them all up. And that's a necessary being. That's God who's holding everything, who's making everything in the universe happen. So when I, when I, uh, so when I do science as a, as a scientist, as a Muslim scientist, I see what I see is not the same as what a materialist scientist would see. What I see is I see um, relationships. I see relationships that God has placed in the universe, that uh, I see regularities with which God acts in the universe. Mm. A scientist sees necessary, a material scientist will see necessary cause and effect relationships that are inviolable. They cannot be broken. So materialists will say that miracles are impossible because these are necessary relationships. I'll say that the relationships are there, but they're not necessary because I can use my mind, use the, use, use the argument from contingency to, to see that they all depend on a necessary being. They're patterns in, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in the universe. And so miracles are indeed possible. And when miracles happen, there is an 
interruption of a regular association that God has placed in the universe. So this is, these are two, these are two kinds of perspectives. There's a materialist perspective and there's the Quranic perspective. Christianity lies somewhere in the middle. So what, what Christians, when they attributed divinity to Jesus, and even though Jesus is a contingent thing, he's dependent, and the Quran says that, Quran says, So uh, they, to the Christians to whom the, uh, the, the Quran was speaking, some of them, they claimed that, that Mary was the mother of God and she was divine as well. Um, so the Quran says that Jesus, son of Mary, and Mary, the most that Jesus was, was a messenger. And many other messengers have died and gone before him. And the most that his mother was, uh, the Virgin Mary, was a great saint. And then it gives an argument. It says, They used to eat food. They're dependent. They're needy. They need somebody to fulfill their needs. You should be able to see that they need something else. And so as long as something needs something else, it cannot be divine but when but when uh, when a contingent thing is given divine divine properties then there's a philosophical confusion that's introduced in the way that we analyze the universe we can we we come to imagine that okay well if this contingent thing can actually be independent and do things then maybe other contingent things can be independent and do things as well so the uh, so the perspective of the universe from a Christian perspective came to be one where laws of nature are true, meaning not in the sense of just being uh, patterns and regular relationships, but they really bring about their effects. And what a miracle is, is a miracle is an interruption of a necessary relationship. And that's how it shows that the one who is doing the miracle is God, because God is the one who is more powerful mm -hmm. than the laws of nature that are powerful. And so God comes and he interrupts the system and then something happens. And now that means he's God. So someone does a miracle, that means they're God. And, um, and so, and this kind of thinking is quite is quite prevalent, you know, in our in our times. And um, but from from our perspective, from the Islamic perspective, everything is already an act of God. You know, you don't. Need, so a miracle is not an intervention. A miracle is a pattern break, a break in a pattern. And the, and so when I when I see so from so how does it how does it work? The way it works is that. They give an example, the scholars of Kalam, they give an example. They say, like, if you, they take an example of a messenger from a king, um, a human king. So a human king sends us a messenger, and this messenger says that, um, Hamza, uh, Paul, I am a messenger from king so-and-so, and he's telling you, he's commanding you to do this. And so we say, well, I want authentication, I want verification. And the king is there, he happens to be there, and he's watching, and so... The, the messenger says that the king right now is going to do something that he doesn't normally do. And the king is watching and he's seeing everything happening. And uh, the, the messenger says he's now going to, against his habit, um, you know, stand on one leg and then stand on one leg again 
and then turn around and in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a do a twirl like this. And, and we turn to look at the king and he's watching everything. And lo and behold, at that moment, he does exactly that. So in this context, in this particular context of a claim to be a messenger from this king, when the king does something that goes against the way that he regularly does things, it's understood to be a sign. A sign is something that signifies. Right. It can, right. And so what, what does this signify? It's like sign language. It signifies that the king is saying, without actually speaking to us, that this servant of mine is really speaking on my behalf. So in the same way, when you have a, someone who claims to be God's messenger, and God in the Islamic paradigm, he's running everything. Everything is dependent on him directly. He's watching everything. He hears everything. And he's there. And this messenger says that this, this being who you already know uh, is running everything is now going to interrupt the way that he does things in this way. And that happens. Then in that context, it's understood as divine confirmation. So the, the thing, so this is why, this is why philosophically, um, from a Christian perspective, a miracle would be understood as a sign of divinity. Um, and whereas from a Muslim perspective, it would be understood as a sign of prophet authentication. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think scripturally, the Trinity introduces um, what it allows. A, it also scripturally mars things because it's like a, a lens that you put on that, that, that colors the way that you read what's happening so when uh when when there's any when there's when when it says that only god does things and you say well jesus is god therefore jesus is doing something but jesus is also human and so there's all of these human characteristics and even though humanity and godhood are opposites and cannot coexist because they cannot be the same thing because one is needy and contingent and one doesn't need anything. But when you allow for that and then you read scripture through that, then, then, you, then you, can, you can then read scripture to, to, there's a way that you can read it to justify um, your position. So it, it kind of clouds and confuses. Um, but if you kind of take off those glasses and you look at things from the argument from contingency, I think that even scripturally from a um, biblical perspective, it would be more coherent, just mm -hmm. as you described by citing. Yeah, no, it's very helpful. I, I think also it's been noted by uh, some biblical scholars that none of the miracles attributed to Jesus in the Christian Gospels is without parallel in the Old Testament prophets themselves. So all of the miracles that he does, whether it be raising the dead or uh, nature miracles or healings and so on, all, found, all find precedence in Old Testament prophets' mm -hmm. actions. Um, uh, Elisha and Elisha are two very well examples. So it's not even within the so-called Judeo-Christian tradition, um, th this is not necessarily at all an indication of these miracles of someone being God. Mm -hmm. It can simply be someone who has been commissioned by God, who chosen by God, God is working through them. Um, so mm -hmm. there's an instability in the, the biblical narrative here, it being a library of books, of course, and many different writers and authors over many, over many centuries. So some of it points to an Islamic conclusion, arguably, with the prophets themselves yeah. in the Jewish Bible um, d doing things by the power of God, as, as you have, have said. It doesn't lead to the Christian conclusion, I mean.
So it's very, um, it's very, very complicated. But, but how does all this relate to modern science religion debates? And I've got the back of my mind, I'm thinking intelligent design arguments in America. I'm thinking a lot of the gaps. I'm thinking all sorts of things because it really does impact on yeah, it does, yeah. uh, issues uh, very much so, I think. Yeah. So what happens is that so I think what's happened in the, um, in the Western tradition where there's this battle between atheism and religion, science and religion, it's happened in a Christian context. And that Christian context has colored those debates. And this is something that I, 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 you know, I talk about a lot. I have a thinking Muslims guide to um, atheist arguments. And, um, and so the, the, uh, uh, so a Christian to a Christian who sees the world in this way, um, there's a competition there's a competition between natural explanations and divine action. Yeah. So, uh, so if something can be explained by laws of nature, if I can say that laws of nature did this, then it means that the laws of nature have crowded out God. So if mm -hmm. I want to bring, if I want to prove the existence of God, what I need to do is I need to create a gap. I need to create an opening. I need to find a space. I need to find something that a, uh, that a scientist is unable to explain. And yeah. this manifests itself in a number of areas. Uh, the most prominent one is evolution. So mm -hmm. this is why evolution is so uh, such an important issue in science, religion debates in the Western world, because for a, um, apart from the biblical accounts of uh, direct creation of various different other kinds of human beings, um, even non-humans, um, there's, there's this, uh, there's this, if, if the human beings and all other animals and the variety of life that we see, if there's a natural way, a process in which it can come about, then it means that God didn't make it, the laws of nature did. So, mm -hmm. but if I can prove that, that the laws of nature cannot explain this design and variety, this compelling design in the universe, then I have carved out a space for the existence of God. And so the, the battleground for the existence of God becomes the scientific evidence or lack of scientific evidence for uh, the theory of evolution, and it, it's all—that's um, where the you know it's the centerpiece of the intelligent design movement. And then there's other things like um, other things that cannot be scientifically explained, like the constants of uh, physical constants in the universe, or like or the beginning of the universe. You know, it's not if the universe had a beginning, then by definition it cannot have a natural explanation because there was no nature before it. So so that's the that's the lens through which through which they'll come and. The it becomes and so what what the scientist says is that wait a minute like you're you're if you find if you know there 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 may be problems with evolutionary explanations and mm -hmm. uh, but that's the nature of science if if you just come and say that no science cannot explain it you're hindering my um, my ability to function as a scientist because what science what scientists do is they search there's things that are unexplainable there is never perfect you kind of improve in your knowledge but you're telling me i cannot go further and now it, it'll be seen from the perspective of the scientist as something that is getting in the way of science 
So, and, and from the perspective of the Christian theist, it's science getting in the way of God. And so there's a, they're inevitably locked in, um, in dispute. But if you, if you step back and you see things from an Islamic perspective and you see that, well, everything is, uh, you know, the science discovers the relationships that God has placed in the universe, then the more, the better, you know, like there's no, you don't need to, you don't need to, you don't need to bring out a space where something cannot be explained in order to prove the existence of God. The role of that space, the role of that space is just, it's an anomalous event. It's rare. The role of it is to authenticate prophets happens once in a while. Um, but, uh, uh, and it could happen in certain other contexts too, but it's not normal. It's not regular, and 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 you know, and the the more the more design there is, the more natural explanations there are. If the natural explanations are seen as patterns of divine action, you know, it it points to the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. Um, there's no the competition isn't there. So um, so I think it's it's unfortunate when. When Muslims, what, what, what they, they go to a, um, to a Christian refutation of, mm. of, uh, of atheist arguments because they, they then take on certain assumptions and they enter into a battlefield that they don't need to enter into. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of uh, um, speaking to uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer on Blogging Theology just several days ago. He's uh, perhaps America's leading or most famous advocate of intelligent design at the Discovery Institute. And uh, uh, he discussed uh, some of these issues. And I did actually uh, ask him um, uh, what, what one of those questions that if, if as, as you say, if science at the moment cannot explain phenomena X, because there are several phenomena that he alludes to, which prove the existence of God. Um, is this not a hostage to fortune in some sense? Because you're basically saying belief in God, evidence for God is predicated on the non-explicability on naturalistic grounds at the moment of certain phenomena. If, if science can, maybe not in our lifetimes, maybe in a hundred years time, come to a, some kind of explanation, then your argument, your proof for the existence of God just disappears and you're, you're left with no faith. And, uh, um, and well, you can see his, his response to that. I'm not going to re rehearse his answer, or whether or not you, you, think you might think it's satisfactory or not. But the Islamic position seems invulnerable, clearly, to any such objections. Uh, and indeed, the, the, uh, the more wondrous nature, the more science there is, uh, it actually, in a sense, is welcome. It's not a threat. It's not a competition. This is, I like your word there. There's no competition between the Islamic uh, understanding of the universe and God's action and God's patterns of action in the universe and science. They're, they're in harmony because they're operating at different levels of discourse, it seems, uh, completely different levels of discourse, which can sit comfortably together. They're in complementary, right. harmonious relationship rather than, as you say, in competition where uh, the ID people want to claim this for their territory. You know, the scientists say, well, hang on, we may, can or will have an explanation one day, perhaps we have faith in our science. So Islam bypasses all that completely. That's a very yeah. uh, intellectually satisfying answer. Uh, perhaps some people might think. Yeah. And that's why miracles in science and Christianity in Christianity and Islam are so important to, um, to this issue. You know, it's like science religion debates there. Um, it's core. Thank you.
Okay. Well, um, in, in conclusion, um, I had, I had a, a particular, this is slightly uh, tangential, we've covered this already, but I, I did want to share uh, a passage which uh, in the Gospels, which uh, from the, the Christian Bible, which um, again is something for Christians to reflect on when it comes to the way the Bible presents Jesus. I've already quoted from Peter's amazing testimony that Jesus was just a man through whom God did miracles and signs and wonders amongst you, as you yourselves know, fitting rather extraordinarily with the Islamic view, perhaps, of Jesus' action in the world. And there's another very, very rarely cited passage, um, which may have some um, parallels in the life of Muhammad, upon whom be peace as well. And I just wanted to read that from the earliest gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Um, I'll just read it and then um, make a few comments, perhaps. This is where Jesus cures a blind man at uh, Bethsaida. This is a, a town in Palestine. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He, that's Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes, um, when he put saliva's, when he put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? So Jesus doesn't know. He's asking the man, the blind man, can he see anything? That's interesting in itself. And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking Okay, so he's not completely healed. He can't see really, truly, clearly. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. There's a stage, several stages in this healing process. And he looked intensely and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he went away to his home saying, do not uh, do not even go into the village. So what I find fascinating there is several things which struck me is that in the traditional Christian model of Jesus being God and his actions are uh, signs of his divinity, this shouldn't really happen. You shouldn't have Jesus going through a staged healing, inquiring of the the, the, the blind man, have you been killed? Have you been healed yet? How's it looking to you? Can you see anything? <laughs> the guy says, well, sort of. So Jesus has another go. And and eventually the guy is is healed. So that that sits ill with the the uh, the traditional Christian view. But also it, it speaks to this idea of, of, of using spittle and laying hands on uh, putting saliva on his eyes was interesting. And then laying hands on him as well. There's a, a almost a ritual aspect to this as well. And again, when I first read this a long time ago, this this caused cognitive dissonance. I think, well, hang on, how does this fit in with my traditional Christian beliefs at that time, that Jesus is God and just does things by fiat? You know, he just does things. It doesn't fit in with that. And it speaks to a more, a different way of understanding Jesus's action. I'm not saying, by the way, this is historical. I have no idea. Um, A lot of stuff in the Gospels, historians now say, not for anti-miraculous reasons, but for historical reasons are not historical after all but um is there anything in the life of, of the prophet muhammad upon yeah. him be peace that might offer some reflections on this yeah so uh, um a lot of the miracles that that were performed by jesus were also performed by or as reported in the bible that were performed by jesus were also performed by the prophet muhammad so mm. miraculous multiplication of food multiplication of right. water for example is one one example but also um healing the blind and um, and uh, Sayyidina Ali, I think, um, in the Battle of the Trench, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said that I'm going to give um, um, 
uh, this, uh, I forget the details. I'm going to give this sword or this banner to somebody who loves Allah and his messenger. And, uh, uh, and Sayyidina Ali was the hero of that battle. And he had a, he had a, an eye condition and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, um, he miraculously cured it through spitting. And, um, right. and Interesting. this was also, um, there's, uh, uh, Musaylima, the liar, the false prophet who emerged in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he, um, people came to him and they said to him that Muhammad um, cures uh, people when they go, become blind, he, he cures them by spitting in, in, your, in their eyes. Can you do the same thing? And he said, yes, of course I can. And so they brought a, a man to him who was blind in one eye. And so he spat in it and then the other eye went blind too. <laughs> so, um, so this is, this yeah, that, is that rather badly. <laughs> miraculous phenomenon that, that signifies yeah. the opposite of what a um, prophetic miracle signifies, like a divine act that, uh, mm -hmm. that shows that, uh, um, that somebody is not an authentic prophet. But I think that one of the things that, that um, the passage that you brought out and the other passages that you mentioned brings is that, um, there's there's a lot of um, that that when that when we when when we as Muslims read the Bible through an Islamic lens, there's things that we can see that um, that allow us to to take a lot of it and and uh, um, and uh, give it a new give it a meaning that uh, you know um, mm. yeah okay. I I, I, yeah. I don't know so my my own journey I came. You know, I was born Muslim, but when I when I read the Gospels, I, I there's obviously there's things there that I that I wouldn't that I wouldn't um, accept. But um, but I love Jesus. You know, like it's just there's a lot of very beautiful things there. And um, often Christians don't appreciate that uh, Muslims also love Jesus, revere Jesus, and and indeed the Quran it speaks of Jesus on many occasions, and his mother too. A whole chapter of the Quran is named after her and speaks of her with great reverence and respect. Um, and uh, so Jesus is truly a, a global figure in the Abrahamic uh, faiths. It's, it's really extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So um, in conclusion, uh, Hamza, um, would you like to perhaps uh, tell us a bit about your uh, why Islam is true course? Uh, yeah. So a lot of uh, so everything that I've described here is um, it's there in a course that I've developed. It's called Why Islam is True. And the idea of miracles and approaching them from the perspective of, uh, of, of, of the Quranic perspective and how um, modern religion science debates are clouded by um, by not having the Islamic perspective there in the mainstream. So it's um, unfortunate that it's not there yet. Inshallah, I hope it'll, it'll come in the future. But, uh, but this is a course that, uh, that is, that, that's developed for high school students, but there's adults who take it too. Right. And I'm, I'm training teachers um, in many institutions to deliver this course. There's a textbook, there's learning, there's lesson plans, there's training. And, um, and there'll be an announcement after Ramadan. Um, during Ramadan, actually, and so um, I hope all of you will follow, inshallah. Yes, there's also the Thinking Muslims that, Guide that people can sorry. can subscribe to, um, and thinkingmuslimsguide.com, where um, a lot of what I said is unpacked. You know, right. Uh, okay, well, I'll link to that in the uh, description below, so people can uh, follow that through. So, thank you very much for that uh, fascinating uh, presentation on miracles in Christianity and Islam, and. Uh, uh, I, I, perhaps, uh, God willing, you'll uh, come back um, again to talk about uh, David Hume's problem 
of miracles in Christian and Islamic uh, theology. And David Hume, a Scottish philosopher of the Scottish Enlightenment, um, hugely influential intellectually um, in in the world, um, and a very very sceptical voice in um, basically rejecting the miraculous completely from the world. Um, and he, his influence still lingers in the background uh, in the Weltanschauung, uh, the worldview that um, we inhabit in the West, which now by extension perhaps means the globally as well. So it's good, useful to have to pinpoint, I think, these uh, historical figures. Uh, who were they? What did they say? Uh, and, and their enduring influence on discourse today, because whether or not we've heard of this guy, his thought is still in the in the in the air, in the atmosphere Absolutely. we breathe. And, and that's why, um, Hamza, uh, God willing, if you, you would like to come back another time to talk about uh, Hume's problem, uh, problems with miracles, because he, he wrote a lot about this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. And inshallah, I'll see you. Inshallah. Great. Well, thank you very well. Thank you very much again, as I say, to um, Hamza Sheikh uh, Hamza Karamali uh, for your time, your expertise, and um, I, I'm sure viewers will benefit as much as I did from your presentation. So, until next time. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.